Welcome to the Love Good Podcast brought to you by our patrons. This is Jimmy Mitchell, your host. Join me each week as I sit down with artists and thought leaders to chat about music, culture, and what we call the art of being human. You see, Love Good's more than a subscription company, all right? We're a movement of everyday folks like you and me who are letting beauty break through the noise so it can transform our culture from the inside out. Thanks for joining me this week. I'm so pumped you're here. What's up, everybody? I hope you're having a great start to the summer. I'm just getting back from my first camping trip, probably in about six months, maybe eight months. And it's hot. I'll tell you that in the foothills of Tennessee, it is hot, but it also just feels really, really good to be getting out of my house, getting out of the city. You know, I'm still kind of living in a post-quarantine mindset where I'm just eager more than ever to get out and encounter the beauty of God, the beauty of creation, and the beauty of people. And I don't know where you find yourselves right now, but I can't thank you enough for tuning into the Love Good Podcast, for being a part of this movement, this family of young people, of artists, of patrons across the world who believe that beauty matters, who believe that our culture right now is in fact falling apart and more than ever has needed everyday Christians to rise up, you know, not in protest and and rioting and and revolution as much as to, to rise up in the splendor of truth, right? The splendor of what it means to be human, to point people back to their origin and their end, which is ultimately God himself. And we can all just own this, that we are missing each other, right? We're missing community. We recognize perhaps more than ever the need for other people, the need for God, the the reality that none of us are made to be alone. And one of the great joys of the next several episodes of the Love Good Podcast is that I get to sit down with one of my oldest friends who I not only cherish as a brother, but he's also somebody whose intellectual life has always been a source of profound blessing for me. His name is Jason Craig, and we've been really prepping you guys for this for several weeks now. This is a very exciting bonus series in the Love Good podcast. We've obviously wrapped up season three. And for the next five weeks, I'll be sitting down with, again, Jason Craig to dive into my favorite book of all time. It's called Orthodoxy by G.K. Chesterton. If you don't yet have your hands on the Love Good edition of this book, All you got to do is click on the link in the episode notes and you can easily get a copy. We'll send it to you within 24 hours of your order. And that way you can be following along as Jason and I are not necessarily hosting a book study, but rather pulling out key moments, key reflections from Gilbert Keith Chesterton and his own journey towards faith, his own journey towards truth, his own journey towards what it means to be human. You see, Chesterton was living over a hundred years ago in Great Britain, in the great country of England. And he was one of these incredible minds that would take on leading atheists of his time in public debates. It didn't matter if it was, you know, H.G. Wells or George Bernard Shaw, they were all friends, first of all. And then Chesterton just had this way of debating them that had them laughing, like literally they were in stitches the entire way through, not only because of Chesterton's wit, but because of his way of coming around to the truth over and over and over 
over again. And ultimately that truth is what led Chesterton into the church, really in the final years or final decades of his life. So we're really pumped. I'm certainly excited to be doing something very different, sitting down with an old friend, having some intellectual leisure over the next several weeks. And again, diving into, I think one of the greatest books in the English language. Probably three and a half years ago now, Love Good put out our own edition of it with beautiful artwork commissioned by one of our apprentices, as well as I think just the most beautiful little format that this book has ever seen. So we're really excited about the next several weeks. Thanks for tuning in. And just know that this is gonna be a heavy hitting handful of weeks. Don't be intimidated by Chesterton. Don't be intimidated by orthodoxy. It's one of these books that you're really not meant to read alone. And so this is a chance for us to engage in some intellectual leisure together as we all raise our standard for music, books, and art, and of course, build a better culture. In just a few moments, I'll be with Jason Craig here in the Love Good studio. Before I sit down with him, enjoy this little excerpt of Wayfaring Stranger, a brand new song from the brand new album by Marie Miller called Little Dreams. Well, Jason Craig, what what brings you to Nashville? <laughs> my car, yeah, my rental car, which my children were very excited about. Which but. wasn't the original plan. Can we just talk about that for a moment? <laughs> yes, yes. I had you bought me a plane ticket. Hmm. That was kind of you. You know, I just 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 to preface this, Saint <clears throat> Thomas More did not force his family right to to follow him. Right, so they all signed the yes, King Henry the Eighth is God. Right. They all signed it because they thought they could deal with it. St. Thomas More didn't. He didn't blame. Nobody got mad at each other for who signed and who didn't. Right. So I'm just I'm not proposing that everyone has to do this, but I'm refusing to wear the mask <laughs> um, <laughs> during the Corona crazy time. Uh-huh. So I got a notice that I would be forced to wear a mask. So I've been, I'm in negotiations with Delta to get my non-refundable refund back. Yeah. Because it's yours, actually. Well, for now, um, it's, it's a credit under your name. Okay. So. okay. <laughs> but yeah. you made it. And obviously, you weren't driving cross-country quite, but you were definitely right. not driving next door. Where where you live? Right. I live in Columbus, North Carolina, which is in Polk County, which is like a, a everyone in the county, all the towns are like neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. But I live in Columbus, although specifically in Green Creek, which doesn't have its own post office. So we're call ourselves Columbus. Mm. But if you're familiar with North Carolina, it's it's a kind of a farming area in between maybe Asheville and Charlotte near Hendersonville, North Carolina, which nice. some people know. So it's in the foothills. I always feel a bit lied to though when I hear things like Hendersonville, North Carolina, <laughs> Nashville, Kentucky. I mean, come yeah, on. Yeah, it's strange. Rome, well, Georgia. Columbus, North Carolina, things like yeah, that. That's yeah, that's very well, confusing. That's, what, that's the thing about being, you know, 
American is uh, yeah. we're real young, so we had to borrow a lot of names, and then we shared them all over the place, right? So that's pretty much all uh, we're good for: New Orleans, <laughs> New York. Yeah, new stuff. <laughs> I mean, we even have a Paris, Tennessee. I definitely don't feel yeah, good about that. Yeah. Rome, Georgia. You yeah, mentioned that yeah, one. Yeah. yeah. Well, Jason, I mean, it's been a long time. Yes. Twelve. I think twelve years of friendship. You could probably yes. argue eleven. You know, if you were a Nancy. Yes. Or that's not you and me. Or when we decided to become friends. Which would have been maybe a couple years ago. A couple ago? years later. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> so obviously fraternus brought us together, but I don't, that's not what brings us together now. I mean, we're no. united, I think, more in friendship. And even within fraternus, which we'll explain what that is in just a moment, think about all the people that were gathered around the table in those early years. Yeah. There was always something a bit different about our friendship. And it, it, I think it's because of the very things we're talking about today. Yep. Which is yes. super exciting. I agree with that. Yes. Jimmy was once my employee. Well, I was his boss. Let's it's put true. it that way. You yeah. were my first and only boss. <laughs> Apart from the Bishop of Nashville when I was a seminary. I either ruined you or you, perfected you. You created me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. What is it that Thomas says about fatherhood uh, originating and perfecting? Uh, yeah, man? that's right. That's you know? right. You played your Planting part, Planting the man. seed and tending it. That's right. <laughs> well, I'm still here tending you now, Jimmy. You just I don't know, know it. Yet. I know. Well, and this is what I often forget. Because you were my boss 10 years ago we're pretty much the same age. That's very easy for me to forget. Right. Well, I have just endlessly propagating children. Yeah. Makes which, me seem older. Which is amazing. And the beard. And, well, the beard is not just sort of a protest like it is for a lot of people right now. Like not You're, wearing a mask. Yeah, that's right. Like I for already you, have one. I don't think I've ever known you without a beard. Mm. Has your wife Katie ever known you without a beard? Well, actually, uh, yeah. When we met, I, you know, I did the goatee for a while, but someone told me, I hope I can say this. It looked like a cat's butthole. <laughs> so I stopped wearing the goatee, but it just, you know, I think I had the intuition that the church fathers had that, well, since hair grows out of my face, it's God's will that it shall. But I shaved generally, but my wife is the one who's like, she's just like, don't shave, don't, don't shape it up. Just let it gnarly. And then, and actually this is cut. It was down to here and I shaved and I want to knock it back, but she, for some reason, likes the, the so I know most men they it's the opposite. Their wife wants them to be clean and, and yeah. For me, I'm I'm fighting the battle. I'd love to be baby faced like you. Well, but, you know uh, what? The baby face is just to keep the youthful energy, you know, <laughs> the perception of youthful energy alive. Mm. I'm not seeing a single gray strand though. How is that possible? It's all in my nose. Ah, there's your yeah. secret. There's your secret. <laughs> so you know, one thing I I've never tired of of hearing, and I've only. I say that, but I've only heard it twice. So don't tire me out today with okay. it. Is your story to Fraternus. Maybe that'd be a really cool way to introduce, especially love good patrons, listeners of our podcast, people who are, you know, they've heard me reference it before. Maybe right. they're aware that I'm involved with this thing called Fraternus, <clears throat> but your story into Fraternus is pretty powerful. Sure. You know, your own experience of fatherhood or even the lack of fatherhood, like for so many of us, shaped you growing up right. and then led you to step into a, a really amazing organization, an apostolate, obviously in the Catholic Church that does a, incredible work in that space. But tell us right. a little bit more of your story. Right. So <clears throat> did not grow up Christian, did not grow up Catholic, stumbled into it a lot like the book we're going to talk about later. Like if you Chesterton. haven't already gotten your copy, um, <laughs> yeah, you're wrong. Yeah, get up, get on it. And the, the this copy that all the cool people have is actually you know this is the first time we've talked so intentionally about the book with the very original artwork mm -hmm. behind That's us. Been there for a while, the right? entire time. Yeah. <clears throat> anyway, decided. back to me. So became a Christian in high school through a Protestant ministry called Young Life, 
and then kind of tumbled into the Catholic Church by trying to prove it wrong and it not working out. Then, because of Young Life, Young Life is really the the, the sort of what we when we when people say youth group or youth ministry or whatever. What they're really picturing is what Young Life invented. It's the standard bearer. It's, yeah, yeah. And, and and let's just use the cliches because they're helpful, right? I'm talking frisbees, guitars, games, skits, talks, Jesus, tears, guy with a guitar, <laughs> like all that stuff that's kind of cliche youth ministry or like you just kind of picture it as an icon really comes out of Young Life. Although the big difference is it was originally for the unchurched, mm. right? So not for church people, but then... In the last century, last 50 years, it was kind of imported inside the church and kind of invented what we now know as youth groups. How old is it? Uh, it's from the 40s, Whoa. 1940s. Dang. Yeah. That's when it really, I'm pretty sure. It's amazing. Yeah. I read the book years ago when of the founder and all that, but he, yeah, he was working at a church. He looked at the high school across the street from the church and went, hey, none of those people are here. And, you know, what am, I'm going to do something. And he sort of invented those methods. Then those methods were brought into the, the, you know, the church within Protestant communities, ecclesial communities, and then Catholics went, oh man, now we're losing our kids. Maybe we should do what the Protestants are. Although now Protestants and Catholics are going, I don't know if this was all a really mm. totally good idea. And there's good reason for questioning some of that. But anyway, that was the, what I was involved with. So when I became a Catholic, it's like, hey, well, I'll just keep getting involved with youthy stuff. And that was weird. And were you ever <clears throat> like a youth minute star anything like that? <laughs> well, that's how, so I got a job. I was in North Carolina, which is my home state, and I got a job in Florida because there was I, I knew a guy who was there at the at, in St. Augustine who was with Young Life. And Young Life had kind of infiltrated this Catholic school. And some people were like, hey, this isn't Catholic in this Catholic school. Maybe we can find somebody to bridge the gap. So they found me, like, hey, here's a guy who can bridge the gap. Hmm. And then I got there and it's like, great, because I know Young Life and I'm a Catholic now. And then we ended up having to kick out Young Life. It's another story. But uh, yes, the kids have to go to mass. That's the, that was basically, the, there's the battle line. So anyway, I'm, you know, I'm still, I'm still a new Catholic at this point and I'm, but I'm, I'm in the church and doing youth ministry stuff, but it didn't take me long to, to recognize. I mean, one, I look back at the people that hired me that were on the committee, like all the parents. And it was interesting, man, these are all the parents that have a grave concern about where their kids are headed. Mm. And they're kind of hiring me to save their kids. And then it was interesting, the kids that were solid, right? That were just, you know, the backbone of it. They had great fathers mm. and the, their fathers were engaged. And the ones that didn't, weren't. There was a couple exceptions. But that's a pretty general rule that if the father was engaged and all this. So I'm, I'm, and then I started to think about my own life, my own, you know, one, I have a great father. He's not a man of faith, but he is a man of, of just a lot of natural virtue and loved me as a son, right? Mm. So his fatherhood to me is, is not, is unquestionable. So that I had an image of, you know, if someone to say to me, God loves you as a father, he loves you so much, he sent a son to die for you. I go, yep, that seems like what a dad would do. Cause wow. I think my dad would do that. Wow. So there's a logical thing there that I just, it's intelligible to me. So wrestling with all that. And then I'm, I'm, I'm coming to sort of see youth group as problematic as I'm running a youth group, because I'm realizing, especially with the young men, youth group's great for girls. It's mostly a social thing. And people criticize that there's nothing wrong with being social for, for boys though. It's like, it wasn't do, it was something it wasn't doing and uh, it wasn't making the men right of faith or, or faithful men, however you want to say it. So I'm wrestling with, 
what do we do about that? And do we just have like Braveheart themed youth groups? And I mean, you know, do we just change the theme or do we change the model? Right. And then I meet Tommy Van Horn and Justin Byants and actually Ty Nixon and some other people. We all met. We, none of us knew each other. Emily Van Horn was there. Wow. Tommy and Emily met there at this retreat. And Justin was just pitching this idea of, because he was working for the Boy Scouts. <clears throat> He's like, the Boy Scouts are doing good stuff, but it's not. T- they're not becoming men of virtue. Mm-hmm. So they're getting the accolade of an eagle while they're living with their girlfriend, you know. And he was t- he was doing a degree in theology at that time. And so he was having this idea, what if we got men to mentor boys? And long story short, we just, we kept meeting, kept meeting, kept meeting. And I slowly sort of had a conversion that what I was doing as a youth minister and what I had known because of young, everything I had known about doing apostolate to, to young people was kind of unraveling. And it was, I mean, it's good. Obviously now I have no problem with it. Then it was more of a crisis, right? It's like, I've been doing it wrong, but mm. I've been, not that my, my intentions, right? You say someone's doing something wrong and they think that, well, that means I'm bad. No, just, you know, you're wrong. Yeah. And that's actually... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> what we're going to get into in just a moment. Right. To think that you could be on this journey of life and that could include things like vocations and career paths and, and deep sincerity. Yes. Yeah. And, be and wrong. then suddenly wake up and recognize this isn't this isn't what I thought. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think that right there is that underscore of humility. That really is going to be oh, I'm super a constant yeah. in this book. Yeah, I'm very You know, humble, in just a few moments. Well, Jason, that's all really cool, and and obviously a, a huge cause for our friendship, our, our knowing each other right, is then coming. Then we met, yeah, yeah, and and realizing, hey, this is a deep need in society at large. That this this wound of fatherlessness is pervasive, mm-hmm. and if we want to reach the hearts of young people and especially young men, we've got to be those fathers, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. help the fathers be those fathers. Right, you know, right, and that's been a transformative journey for for all of us involved. Yeah. And yet there's there's more to it. Like you're not just kind of like hanging out on the sixth floor of that office <laughs> building in St. Augustine, right. you know, running fraternists from an ivory tower, right. you know. No one has committed more of their their lives and their professional lives specifically to fraternists like you have. But there's always been more for you. And this is part of what I love. And this is part of what this orthodoxy series is about. And really what Love Good is about, which is this art of being human, mm-hmm. right? What does it really look like to engage with the big ideas and mm-hmm. to let those big ideas, those first principles change us, you know, or as Jaber Crow and Wendell Berry's great novel wrote, the fundamental things, you know, that's what we're here to talk about today. You're a fan of Jaber Crow? I just read it. Did Th- you really? Thanks to a, a long ago recommendation from you, a, a slightly less recent recommendation from Andrew Peterson, who wrote a, a series I'm crazy about uh-huh. here in Nashville. And then finally, Dr. Ryan Hanning, he was the, the nail in the coffin. Okay. You yeah. have to read Jaber Crow. You know, I, so I did. Like after and orthodoxy. Actually, it's not here. <laughs> uh, and that's what we should do. Yeah. That could be another one of our book studies, yeah. Jaber Crow. Because it's long. It's especially long. when it comes to like home and a sense of place, place, community, belonging, membership, you know? Yeah. And we'll touch on that, I think, right. at some point in this series as well. Well, I think the, the common thread, what I my story, this story, this work, Jaber Crow, is the experience with the concrete. That's right. And the romantic and the beautiful and the real does lead us to God. Yeah. And the and and to truth and to beauty and other uncomfortable things that are hard to wrestle with or get wrestled by. 
<laughs> and it is uncomfortable, but man, it's so much better than being in the ivory tower, oh, abstracted, yeah. which yeah. leads us away from all sorts of things. Yeah. And I think that's really a, a beautiful starting place in orthodoxy is Chesterton finally kind of zooms out enough to realize, hang on, life will never make sense except in the trenches, except with, you know, our feet in the soil, you know, right. of reality. Right. Maybe we could just put the book in context. You know, why That's did good. he write it? When did he write it? What was the historical happenings around the release of this book? And at what point was Chesterton even in his own journey towards conversion? And I think that's something that you'll re- recognize mm-hmm. even more personally than me, because I, I kind of grew up in the church. Right, if anything, right, right, I, right. I took it for granted and my conversions were later and more of a deepening. And, and it, the intellectual component definitely didn't come first. Right. You know, it came several steps, you know, in the process. Whereas for Chesterton, it was initially, you know, 100% an intellectual journey or a personal yeah. and deeply human journey. It wasn't like he, uh, you know, had some kind of ecstatic moment in prayer that suddenly changed everything. Right. Yeah. You know? No, he doesn't. Ha- and what's funny it, the, the, is he has the conversion by reading the opponents of everything he now, in a sense, defends. Yeah. But he doesn't defend it. I don't. I don't want to put. I don't. You don't want to put this book in a category of, of apologetics. Yeah, that's right. Because it's not mere Christianity. No. Nor is it a defense of his life, like no, a, it's a, not, apologia pro sua vita. Yeah, you it's know? not a confessions. No. But it is. There is his his intellectual history is in it. Yeah. But it's definitely some serious jujitsu with <laughs> modernist thinking. Yeah. Right. And, and that's he, what it is. And he and he's speaking because he knows it. Because he believed it. Mm. And then it's jujitsu. He takes its momentum and and shows that it's laying on the floor and it's yeah. embarrassed. Yeah. And I think historically, when I'm when I'm reading through it, he was writing this, recognizing the peril, the the, the precipice that we were on. But he had yet he, there was no World War One, mm-hmm. World War Two. He didn't know about the gulags, he didn't know about Auschwitz. These things hadn't happened yet. He didn't and know he, about the Cold War. He didn't even know about the coronavirus. <laughs> and yet it is so relevant. He would have not written the book. Oh, yeah. You think he wouldn't have made it? I don't know. <laughs> he, he would have been vulnerable. <laughs> yeah, look at his weight away from like I do. He's, he's vulnerable, probably had asthma. Yeah, well, in the words of Scott Mulvihill, one of our artists, the reason I like to sit on this side is that it makes me look thin. <laughs> you know? I'm saying opposites. It makes us look <laughs> balanced. The, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, uh, yeah, he's... I think, but then to read it now after all those things, so we're, you know, we're young and dumb, yet we're, we're able to look back yeah. at a world that aged quickly and poorly mm-hmm. under modernism's weight. Mm-hmm. We now see its old age, and I think there's a lot of, of people our age, <clears throat> even older than you, like I am, I'm just getting with the same age. But how old are you? I think I'm six months younger than you. 84? 85, December. <laughs> you baby. Oh, November. okay. Maybe more like a year then. Mm-hmm. November. Yes. Nice. You're a year older yeah, than me. You can call me Mr. Craig now. Uh-huh. Um, so he- <laughs> You have a master's in theology, right? I have a master's in theology. I'll call theology. you Master Craig. Master. Yeah, that's where My Mr. master's will be done in December. And then you can really? call me About fellow time. master. Yeah. It's because yeah. Jimmy quit seminary. And it's a true statement. I took, it, I took my time with this master's too. It was all yeah. those get your diploma road signs, right? Quit the drama. You know, you know what it was? It's exactly what led to this. I needed more intellectual leisure in my life. Mm-hmm. And I was finding the myself of it. turning into a workaholic because I, I love my work. Yeah. I sit at that desk or in this studio for hours before I recognize that I, I haven't looked up or taken a, a breath of fresh air some days. Intellectual mm-hmm. leisure just makes me more human. I know it. And I had to build that in 
through a degree program just to have time for it. Okay, know? so let's put that in context of right now, I quasi-legally, I mean, we don't know what's legal. The world is being governed by memos right now under <laughs> coronavirus that I'm looking at all these road signs on the way here. You know, I'm going through North Carolina, which has yeah, its signs. Yeah, what say? Uh, well, Tennessee, you have your own. Do your part, stay apart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Within six feet. <laughs> hey, well, people don't know when this was recorded. Okay, so, so I don't know what this if the world has collapsed at this point, but we're <laughs> it's it's if this if you find this in a time capsule. Do you know it's I was, May? I was finding podcasts so challenging two months ago because the intros and the outros are usually a bit time sensitive, right? But the conversations are a bit timeless, you know? Right. Yeah. Uh, how do we describe the stage we're in? So yeah, I think we're at the stage where everyone's freak out, or a lot of people, the common man, the freak out is over. We see that there are some dangers, but maybe exaggerated. And we're all confused as our this the as the 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 gods of the secular world of the GDP and and our the health of our flesh battle it out. We're now retreating into this cave that you have mm-hmm. to, which in the light of Plato's cave is maybe an ironic analogy. But we're <laughs> retreating here with blinding light inside to do what seems really impractical, which is talk about a book. Yeah, but. Knowing now that Chesterton recognized, like a lot of thinkers in his age, I think, you know, C.S. Lewis and Tolkien, that the horror of modern life, the brutality of it was on its march. Mm. And so, again, two world wars, all the wars that, you know, the perpetual war we're now in, or the non-wars and just everything we're dealing with. Right now, I think the most sane thing we can do is talk about this book. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. And, uh, that is the context. I have no idea when this comes out, but maybe it'll... The, the conversation I'm, I'm most looking forward to... If I'm to, dead, I'm sorry for my arrogance. <laughs> <laughs> but Whatever. even just like the the mysticism of this book, mm-hmm. you know, the openness to the, the, the wild and the fantastic. I right. think we've lost some of that. You right. know, when I think about our friendship and many like it, there's not a conversation we ever have that doesn't sort of uh, lift my soul a little mm-hmm, bit, mm-hmm. give me a, a profound reminder of what it means to be human and where my life is oriented. Like and that it's certainly end. more than food and money and yes. that stuff. And right. right now in a world that has forgotten its telos, telos. Yeah, it's end, telos. It's end. Yeah. Of course it's going to freak out yeah. when, when suddenly there's a, a hidden enemy called COVID-19 right. that could just seize any one of us in the middle of the night, you know? <laughs> and uh, give us a really bad wheeze. Right. <laughs> and, <laughs> well, and, and, and we all know that like obviously tens of thousands of people dying is always going to be tragic, yes. you know? But to live in fear of a disease and to watch our entire world sink into anxiety well, uh, well, and despair. Yeah, think about all your friends. You, you've got your crazy friends where Armageddon's right around the corner always, which is a good disposition. That's how the early Christians lived. So maybe it's not the worst way to live that, you know, Christ will be back tomorrow because he might. I don't know. But the 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 all the different things that were going to happen, like we're going to, you know, the World War II was just going to keep going and Nazis were going to win. Russia, yeah. communism was going to march across That's the world. Right. Or we're going to, you, you know, mutually ensure destruction. We're going to destroy each other. And it's a fatalism. Yeah, this was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And, but modernism is also marked by it's just overconfidence in itself. Mm-hmm. And the thing that brought us down is this little bug, this little sickness. I mean, we're totally at a standstill. Yeah. We literally yeah. don't know how to live anymore. And then now we've been told to, I think there's a great irony right now because we've been told for, well, I mean, this is what he's talking about for centuries that the Glory of man is is his own personal freedom and choice, yeah, and his ice being isolated within his own freedom that no one can lay no one can lay claim on him. I mean, I even as a father, I'm I am 
it is proposed to me that I have the freedom to get married and have children and I have the freedom to leave for my for the sole excuse of my own happiness. And here we are, we can't be together. And I think now we're crippled in our loneliness and we're absorbed in our screens. We're tired of them, but we can't live without them. And mm. uh, what an interesting, weird thing. So I totally. think what, what Chesterton didn't know, my wife brought this up because of a book she read that the horror that came upon the world after the world wars was that everything that we saw that was going to build utopia. So our industrial force, our technological prowess, our freedom from the chains of archaic superstitions, everything that we had, our, our, our fixed and unchangeable moralities, all these things that were the glory of modernism were then used to, to, to destroy mm -hmm. the world, mm -hmm. practically speaking. And that you know, we a lot of people mark World War One as the the sort of final end of the old world. In this, you know, now we're entering the new one. So I don't. Anyway, just not to belabor that point, but it's this. He didn't know that was going to happen, but he still saw that it was a puff of smoke. Yeah. That all of their 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 glory of the modern philosophers, and he did it by reading them. Mm. Not from a Catholic perspective, yeah, but reading them and recognizing their inner incoherence and, and contradictory nature. And then he, you know, it's like he went into a room and he's like, man, I want to be in this party and everyone cool is here and I'm in this room. And then he looked around and listened to the conversations and realized everyone was insane. And it was yeah. an insane asylum. And he backed out the back door very slowly, <laughs> you know, and kind of get me out of here. And, that, yeah. and then, and then, you know, crawled into the church yeah. on his knees. So. And what's wild is this was written before his conversion. 1908 was the original publication. Really? 1908. So before his conversion to Catholicism fully? Uh, at least until, yeah. I don't know at what point. But he, he speaks in the end as if he is. That's what's always blown me away. We'll confirm it. But okay. I'm nearly certain he became Catholic after the Snopes. publication of Snopes. this book. <laughs> yeah. But it's one of these. It's a little bit like mere Christianity in the sense that you don't have to be Catholic to appreciate this book. No. I would dare say you don't have to be Christian to appreciate this book. You have to have a heart that is willing and open and courageous and a mind that is willing to think critically. Yeah. You know, and He's, to not yeah. just take things as they've been presented. I mean, that's part of what's really striking to me in these times is that, as he says here, thinking in isolation and with pride ends in being an idiot. <laughs> and I think a lot of us feel a little bit duped at the like, moment did he know facebook was going to <laughs> i mean i i can't help but feel manipulated right now by yeah. the media and by medical experts right do we feel free or not right right and, he, and, he, and this is what's so cool about us having this whole conversation about orthodoxy together is that we have to think in communion mm -hmm. you know we have to think by way of friendship because you'll catch all of my logical fallacies and all of my sentimental attachments along They're the legion. way. And I'll catch every one of yours, which I know there aren't many. You, know, you, <laughs> you are not a stoic. You pretend every now and then to be a tough guy, but you got a soft I'm heart. Soft, I'm super soft. But what Cheshton says is, let us never have a soft brain. Yeah. You know, and that's what we're going to fight against I is that the too. softening of our brains. <laughs> yeah. So uh, this is the beginning of a four or five part series. Jason, I'm so excited to be with you. Yeah, the best is yet to come. Let's do it. Oh, I refuse that it should come to pass that when I look back on my life, I'll see an empty home and an empty heart and the boy who never found his wife. 
And if a thief should sneak up on me and take from me my cup, my share, I'll say there's plenty more where that came from. Come with me, I'll take you there. They say the first shall be the last, so Sister Bridget, fill my glass. You're listening to St. Bridget's Fire from The Spark, Kevin Hyder's double disc release back from 2013. Such an amazing song. And what an amazing first episode with Jason Craig. Again, we're at the beginning of this very special bonus book series where we're going to dive into orthodoxy deeper and deeper every single wook. Wook. Wook, I think is short for week. And what a cool opportunity to dive into some intellectual leisure together. This is one of those books that is actually pretty hard to read alone. So what a cool opportunity we have to dive in together and to really cultivate this art of being human by keeping our intellects alive, right? By really cultivating the life of the mind. And for me to get to do that with a friend, i.e. Jason Craig, but also to do it with all of you, our friends across the world, tune into the Love Good Podcast. What a privilege. As always on Thursday, make sure you're tuning in to our live streams. Go to letbeautyspeak.com to get signed up for premium access, Q&A access, and forever access to the live streams. This week, we're diving into, I think it's our eighth, maybe our ninth principle of community. Again, how does it really look in our lives when we engage in community well, when we are sharing life together with others well. And ultimately good community leads to good culture. And therefore we can truly know that without community, without culture, we can't really be human. We can't live the fullness of our humanity. And that's what Thursday night is going to be all about. So anyways, as always, thanks for tuning in to the Love Good Podcast. I can't wait for the next four weeks to unfold with Jason Craig. As I said, the best is, in fact, yet to come. Just be assured of our prayers for you out there, wherever you find yourselves this summer. Keep us in your prayers as well, and we'll see you next week. Peace. Massive thanks for tuning in to the Love Good Podcast. If you like this week's episode, and frankly, even if you didn't, share it on social media, leave us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and then join us on the front lines of building a better culture by subscribing as a patron at joinlovegood.com. Our patrons get all kinds of incredible exclusive content, such as a weekly long form video of the podcast, a monthly live stream house concert with our artists, and a seasonal package that will raise your standard for music, books, and art forever. Thanks again for tuning in. It's an honor to accompany you as you change the world.